Word nerd. Wordsmith. Wordy. Wordless. Oxford Dictionary says a word is a single, distinct, meaningful element of speech or writing, used with others or sometimes alone. We say each one matters. No extra words is literature, minimalist style. And we're getting you right to the story. Green Angels I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day about decorating. We talked about the difference between people who decorate with a certain style or theme, and people who decorate with, well, stuff. When people decorate with a theme, you know they planned what they want you to think about where they live. I'm the kind of person who decorates with stuff. When you see what hangs on my walls, on my Christmas tree, or even the bumper stickers on the back of my car, you aren't supposed to see a theme. You're supposed to see pieces of my life that have meaning to me. And through them, you're supposed to see me. And sometimes the littlest, ugliest, and most insignificant things are the ones that mean the most. I found the angel in the parking lot in front of my apartment complex one February when I was still in college. It was hiding under the pine needles, smashed and forgotten, complete with the broken safety pin that doesn't work because it had been run over by a car. I picked it up, carried it inside, and hung it on my wall, where it has called to me since then. One day I took it down and stared at it. It seemed to have a story to tell, and I wanted to give it a chance to be heard. I imagined all the places it might have come from. Maybe it's a fallen Christmas tree ornament. Maybe it came off the jacket of someone who received it as a gift. Maybe it was a school project. As I tried to tell my angel's story, my mind wandered, and I started to ramble. I was remembering other angels. Lots of angels. My mom used to collect angels. All kinds of angels. She had angels made of wood and plastic, wax and cloth, glass ones I was told not to touch, even one made of pink construction paper and glitter, a gift from my sister. I thought families who hung stars at the tops of their trees were crazy. The only tree argument we ever had in my family was whether to put my favorite angel on top or my sister's. We took turns. I loved being there when we took Mama's angels out for Christmas. They had a whole shelf to themselves, but they filled the house. All shapes, all sizes, and from all over the world. The first story I ever told my family was based on Mama's favorite Christmas book, The Littlest Angel. As I tried to write the story of this angel, I thought of that first angel story I told, and how easy it was to find an audience for storytelling in my mom. She and I even exchanged a story journal. She would write a few pages, mostly about her life as a kid and how she and my aunt played together, and then she would pass it to me. I would read what she had written, write my own story to answer, and pass it back. I learned to love telling stories and hearing them from my mom. The last Christmas we spent together, she read aloud the story I had bought for her, a cup of Christmas tea, which I told her was the story of an angel who didn't yet have wings, a human angel. A few years ago, someone gave me a new definition of the word angel. They aren't cosmic superheroes who come down to solve your problems with magic and lights. They come to hold your hand, walk next to you, hear your story, and share their own.
No wonder Mama liked angels so much. The year I was 16, I lost my mother and inherited the angels. In the months after she died, I tried to think of what she had said or done that defined my life. She didn't leave me with one piece of overarching advice that defined my life and told me how to live it. She left me with memories. I remembered how much fun it was to make her laugh, to swap stories and share gossip, even if it was only in the car on the way home from Girl Scout meetings. Somehow, we never got home until we were all talked out, even if we had to loop around the block a few times until the story was over. The mental picture I was left with her, though, was of angels. A picture that didn't really come to light till a friend called me on the phone to ask me what my favorite color was. I didn't have one. Hadn't had one in years. I thought of a story my mom once told about the color green. She used to train Girl Scout leaders, and she had a theory that all Girl Scout leaders give gifts of green to the world. So she and I found green things to give those leaders, and she presented all of them with a green gift while she told the story of the gifts of green. Green, I told my friend. My favorite color is green. She brought my gift to me in a green bag. A statue made of femo clay. I grinned when I saw it. It's her. I remembered all those angels, of all shapes and sizes, spread throughout my house. She's right in the middle of them, the one dressed in green. I guess this angel of the parking lot didn't want its story told after all, as much as to give me the chance to tell mine about a little girl who loved stories and was inspired by angels. Because this angel may have fallen off a Christmas tree or a little girl's coat, and it may have been run over by a car, but it doesn't matter how it got to me. It did. And I know that it's my favorite green angel checking in to tell me that if I need it, she's still willing to swap stories. Hello there. Welcome to No Extra Words, the flash fiction podcast. My name is Chris Baker Dirsch, and I'm your producer and editor. It's our Christmas episode, guys. We made it. Merry Christmas. Of course, we've been doing Christmas all December long here on the No Extra Words podcast with our Christmas serial, the conclusion of which is coming up momentarily. So if you're not caught up on a Christmas serial, it makes a good listen. It starts on episode 69, and you can catch the first three parts before going to the very end. But... I started today with Green Angels, which was a tough decision to make. It's been a long time since I did an all-Chris show where I didn't have a single contributor, just my own words, my own work. But I was cleaning out my office, and I found... I only have one copy of that story. It's made. It was made for a storytelling class, so it was meant to be performed orally. It's a performance piece. It's not a written piece. And so I only have my rough draft and then the the version that I wrote that I used to live tell it. But I found that and it had been a really, really long time since I had shared it. And I wanted to bring it to you all here because Christmas is a very bittersweet time of year and not just for me, for everybody. And it, it speaks to a feeling that I think a lot of us have this time of year where we're celebrating and we're pulling things out and we're enjoying time with our families. And there's also this liter- lingering bittersweetness underneath. That story is 100% true. I'm going to post a picture in the show notes connected with this episode. That'll be over at noextrawords.wordpress.com. 
the two angels that I mentioned in the story are both hanging in my office where I actually do my recording. They are next to each other. They're surrounded by a few more green angels that they've picked up over the years. But the two of them are hanging one on top of the other, and I'm going to post that picture. You can see them, and you can also see the really cool 1980s wood paneling that is this office in which I record. I will also post a picture of the angel collection as it looks today. It has changed a lot. I have no idea where the pink glittery construction paper angel disappeared to over the years. And as collections do when they change hands, it has morphed as it has come to me. But a lot of those original angels are still there, and they are all over the house. The collection that is on the shelf right now for Christmas is far from the complete angel collection, but that's the old stalwarts that come out every Christmas, and so I will include a picture of that in the show notes as well if you're interested. I mentioned a couple of books. Christmas books are also a big part of my family celebration, and it was such a weird it's funny how coincidences like this happen right before I came downstairs to record so I knew I was going to record Green Angels I knew it was going to be emotional I knew it was going to be about Christmas and my family and I was reading to my two-year-old before he went to sleep right before I came downstairs to record and I've been reading him a Christmas book most nights because we have a lot of them in my house I'll post a picture of them too I picked up a book that I have loved for so long. This book has been a part of Christmas in my ch- in my family for as long as I can remember. I think it was published in 1979. It is a paperback book. The thing has been stapled so many times so, called Santa's Crash Bang Christmas. I will put information about the book in the show notes. I doubt it's still in print, although it was illustrated by Tommy DePaula. For children's book people in the audience, that name is probably familiar. It stars an elf who kind of takes care of Santa during this crash bang Christmas. And those of you who've been listening to the Christmas serial up to this point are going to be surprised when you hear the elf's name. It's Gerald. And I had never noticed that until tonight. I swear to you guys. The elf Gerald that's featured in the Christmas serial is a creation of mine. I wrote that book years ago. Um, But somehow in my head, the name Gerald associated with an elf had wormed in. It is just amazing what sticks with you from year to year. And I think this time of year brings that out because we are so, maybe the word is steeped in and maybe the term is craving. I don't know which tradition at this time of year. So Merry Christmas. My most sincerest of wishes to everyone listening or whatever holiday you are celebrating this time of year, or if you're not celebrating a holiday, then I just wish you blessings on the new year, blessings on the solstice. Um, It is a very bittersweet time of year, but it is a time of year that opens up the chance for moving forward in a new direction or staying grounded. And I hope that whatever it is of those that you need, you get. I'm going to bring you the conclusion of a Christmas serial featuring my own personal elf, Gerald. I hope you enjoy it. I will see you next week. I will be out of town next week, so I am sincerely hoping that next week's episode will be on time as scheduled. But if it isn't, please don't give up on me. It will come. And we will do a little bit of New Year and talk about 2017 here on the No Extra Words podcast. I will see you then. In the meantime, enjoy your holiday weekend. Previously on A Christmas Cereal. Teacher Patty in elf school always says that humans are dangerous, but I don't think she's right. Most elves never get to see humans. We are a big secret from them. 
but a couple of them landed right here in Christmastown. They didn't even come by reindeer, but by car, whatever that is. And one of them walked right into the middle of our school Christmas program rehearsal. I knew just what to do with him. My name is Justine, and my cousin Rochelle runs things at the playhouse, so I was able to help her. I've been asked to help again. See, Gerald, who is sort of the elf in charge, thinks these two kids from Centerville are such a big threat that he's actually cancelled Christmas. Which is really strange, because now it's Christmas Eve, and none of the grown-ups know what to do without work and stuff. Duncan, he's the oldest elf in Christmas Town, has a plan to put the whole thing right, and he asked for my help. It's hard to know who to listen to when all the grown-ups in your life tell you different things, but Duncan is so old he's seen everything, so I think he's right. He better be anyway, because things are really weird around here, and while I like adventure as much as the next elf girl, I'm really looking forward to things getting back to normal. A Christmas Serial Part 4 Fancy Sleigh Driving In Justine's mind, the entire future of Christmas rested squarely on her tiny shoulders, and she was not about to let her new friends down. She was ready. It was Christmas Eve morning, and as Justine walked to school, the town felt weirdly quiet. The factory did not buzz and hum as it ordinarily did. The Christmas deliveries were ready to go. And without anything to do, the hard-working elves who staffed the factory had gone home. There was no loading, no lists to double-check, and no last-minute packing. They were ready for Christmas to come, but not certain if it would. Christmastown was waiting. At Justine's home, however, things were merrier than normal. With the day off from work, her mom had found boxes of ornaments and set up a Christmas tree in their living room. Suddenly there were mysterious wrapped packages and a kitchen filled with good things to eat. Justine's best dress was ironed and hanging in the closet ready for her to wear to the party. Everyone she knew planned on being at the party. Well, almost everyone. As the students filed out for fun time, Justine looked over her shoulder at her teacher, who sat at her desk correcting papers with a large red pen. She looked tired. Teacher Patty? For the first time in her life, Justine felt shy. Patty jumped, startled. Sorry, Justine, did you need something? No, but my mom, she... Justine was not a good liar. She took a deep breath and remembered what Cousin Roshi was always saying about feeling the performance deep down in your bones. My mom wanted to know if you had plans for tonight. It's Christmas Eve, you know. Teacher Patty laughed, but her eyes were still sad. Yes, I know, Justine. Please tell your mother I'm all right, but I don't think I'll make it to the party. I just want a cup of tea and a hot bath. That's about all the Christmas I can handle, I'm afraid. Oh. Justine felt sad for Teacher Patty. She hoped what she was doing would help. My mom, she has to go to the party tonight, but she made this dinner, and there's no one to eat it. Well, no one but my uncle. My mom says no one should eat alone, especially at Christmas, and she thought you might not have to go to the party, and you might like to come and have some food with my uncle to keep him company. Justine didn't have an uncle. She had four nosy and very loud aunts who liked to kiss her on the cheeks and leave ugly lipstick stains. But Adam had insisted it wasn't really a lie. Back in Centerville, he had told her, we sometimes call neighbors aunts and uncles, if we like them. Anyway, Justine knew her mom would have invited both Gerald and Teacher Patty if she knew how lonely they were. 
but her mom couldn't know about the plan until it was over. Teacher Patty rubbed her forehead. That's very nice of your mom, Justine, but I don't think... My uncle works very hard. He's director of security and communications at the factory, and that's an important job. He almost never has Christmas off, except this year because, well, you know, and my mom thinks it's just an awful shame for him to be alone. When coaching Justine, both Adam and Karen had made it clear that the key was making sure Teacher Patty knew who her uncle was. Once she did, they insisted she would change her mind. Justine wasn't sure she believed them, but it worked. The minute Teacher Patty heard what Justine's uncle did for a living, she looked up from her stack of papers for the first time. What's your uncle's name? she asked. Gerald. Oh. Teacher Patty fiddled with her necklace. Well, we can't let your mother down now, can we? No. Justine stayed in character. She said we'd be leaving for the party around 5.30 and that she would leave dinner all set up for you. My uncle should be there at 6. Tell your mother thank you, said Teacher Patty, who was busy pulling her long hair out of the knot in the back of her head and gently teasing it with her fingers. She turned to the mirror behind her desk and tilted her head, looking critically at herself. Five-thirty should give me enough time, she mumbled. Merry Christmas, Teacher Patty, called Justine as she left the room, smiling. Dear Gerald, I cannot thank you enough for your kindness to me over the past few days. I would like to repay you by inviting you to dine with me this evening, Christmas Eve, at six o'clock. I know how busy you are, but it is my wish for neither of us to spend the holiday alone. My address is 601 Gingerbread Road. I sincerely hope to see you there. Yours, Patty. I like it, said Karen. I hope we're right about this. We are, said Duncan, as long as we are certain she will be there. She will be. Justine is a born actress. Wonderful. Other distractions? I told Gwen she absolutely needed to make sure Santa's uniform was clean and pressed. Since he isn't scheduled to fly tonight, he should be in his dress suit, and getting it ready should take her all day. You're sure. I had Marvin leave it on the barn floor. Excellent. Where is Marvin? In the barn, with his disguise, bonding with the reindeer and waiting for the ghost sign. Heaven help us that it's all on his shoulders. If he hasn't managed to tip the sleigh over yet, he'll be ready. Adam ran in breathless. Everything is set. Santa's down in the naughty and nice center. He said he could use a few minutes in there without Gerald and Alexander driving him to distraction. Alexander has a trustworthy team and is coordinating packing upstairs, and Mari is working with him to make sure there's an escort. Alexander says without all the security in place, we have to have an escort, and an entire extra team of reindeer, which Mari says isn't a bad idea. Karen nodded. Sounds like you've been working hard. Are you and Kevin ready? It's going to be a really quick turnaround. Yeah, Adam looked wistful. I wish I could stay for the whole party. Karen pulled him into a hug. I know, but you have to know what you have done for us. Don't worry. We usually find ways to keep in touch. She wiped her eyes and turned to Kevin, who had just come in from helping Alexander. Are you ready? I don't know what you think I can do. You're the decoy, said Duncan. You're the only one who can do it. Why? He doesn't like me. He doesn't think I even believe in this place, which I don't. Not really. Kevin was defiant. Disbelief is a powerful weapon. Elves understand that. If Gerald thinks that someone who does not believe has unsupervised access to key places in the building, he will not leave you alone. And he won't notice if someone else, he glanced back at Adam, delivers this note. Me? Adam looked both proud and uncertain. Gwen is gone, so you'll have to do it. Put on a uniform, don't look him directly in the eye, don't talk, and whatever you do, don't call attention to yourself. Keep him focused on Kevin. 
Kevin snorted. That's something Adam could never do. He'll do it, Duncan was certain. He has no choice. Now go, quickly, both of you. Big guy, big guy, hello, Santa? Gerald could be heard shouting from down the hall. Santa looked up from the list and checked his watch. Right on time. His wife and her co-conspirators knew what they were doing. In here, he called. Gerald was huffing and puffing as he raced into the center. There you, where, looked, office, phew. Slow down and breathe, Santa offered him a chair. What's up? I need, I need the night off. Going to a party? asked Santa innocently. What? Oh, that, no, never would, never could, big guy, you know that. But, ah, uh, that is, a friend is not, well, needs me. His big ears flamed bright red. Oh. Well, of course you must go immediately. Gerald sighed. His boss was really quite dense. I'm just not sure who will take security detail. I need to make sure we secure, well, you. Me? I don't mean any disrespect, um, sir, but we need to make sure you stay secure, protected, and out of trouble, finished Santa. Well, that is, um, yes. There will be a lot of pressure to fly tonight. I want to make sure you aren't... Well, placed in an uncomfortable position. Certainly, Santa nodded. And you wouldn't want to have to worry about Christmas or me on such an important night. Which is why you should take this. He held out what appeared to be a large gold pocket watch. Gerald's eyes widened. The Santa, sir? Sensory allocation notifying triangulation alarm. Your own invention, is it not? Yes, Gerald's chest puffed up a bit. But you've never agreed to wear it before. I thought you said it was a violation of your privacy. I'm willing to make an exception. Tonight is an important night, and you will feel better if you know where I am. I've set it to notify you if I leave the Naughty and Nice Center, as you can see. It even has this heartbeat gizmo, so you can tell if I've taken it off. Am I right? Yes, Gerald smiled. Your predecessor was rather mischievous in that regard. Sir. Well, hopefully my using this will allow you to concentrate on your friend. Santa winked. May I say, sir, said Gerald, that you are a genius? Santa strapped the alarm to his wrist and tucked the pocket watch piece into Gerald's hand. Go, he said with a smile. Gerald did not need to be told twice. When he was completely certain his security chief was gone, Santa pressed a small button on his belt. Big red to mighty M, we are go for pickup. Repeat, we are go for pickup. Roger that, said Marvin from the sleigh, spitting out a few white hairs from his fake beard. Mister, he whispered reverently to the captain of his team, this may be your biggest mission yet. Let's go, boys. Karen's home-cooked meal was delicious, but neither Patty nor Gerald paid much attention to the food. They only had eyes for each other, which was probably a good thing, because if either of them had looked out the window, they might just have caught a glimpse of the sleigh, whipping around the top floors of the factory with the white beard of what looked like Santa flapping in the wind. Sleigh loading was usually a stressful time, but with the party going on, packing up the handmade treasures of Christmas Town was more festivity than work. The elves laughed as they loaded the sleigh, which bobbed around a bit more than usual. Santa was so excited he fairly danced, although he didn't say anything. The elves of Christmas Town were happy to see things return to normal. Well, almost normal. A more festive version of normal. Adam was teaching every Christmas carol he knew, even the really annoying ones. Kevin was trying to eat all the food piled high on the tables of the factory's top floor. Duncan's twenty-three great-grandchildren were clustered around him and some of the older elves, begging for stories. 
The decorations were beautiful, especially the ropes and ropes of twinkle lights. Elves tend to be good with lighting. Santa was very sorry to be missing the party, but he did not dare leave the naughty and nice center a minute before scheduled and set off the alarm in Gerald's breast pocket. He could see out the window, however, and his stomach churned at the sight of his precious sleigh and its priceless cargo at the whim of Marvin, the reindeer, and the wind. He turned away, willing himself not to look, and focused on the list. A clatter at the window announced Marvin's arrival. The sleigh seemed none the worse for wear, although Mister was looking at Santa with desperate eyes. "'Everything is ready!' Marvin called excitedly. "'Everything is loaded! I did it!' Santa gave the sleigh a once-over. "'Where are Adam and Kevin?' "'Ah, well, almost ready. They want you to pick them up at the upstairs window.' "'I don't think they wanted to ride while I was driving.' "'Well, we'll have to move quickly, but I can't really blame them for that. Move over. I don't want to ride with you driving either.' Santa leaned out the window and settled himself into his familiar spot. Upstairs, the party was in full swing. Karen smiled when her husband appeared in the window. "'Merry Christmas. Food?' "'We don't have a second to lose,' Santa said. "'Get the boys into the sleigh. Gerald will be... here any minute?' Gerald's voice from the doorway was laced with sarcasm. "'You almost got away with it.' He glanced around the room at Christmastown assembled. "'All of you. Fortunately, I had a person in place to warn me. You're not going anywhere. The roads are blocked.' Everyone froze. Adam chewed his lip. It was Gwen. It had to be. That meant no Christmas. No ride home. Santa didn't move. He could never outrun an elf. He's going, said a voice from behind the crowd. The voice of someone easy to miss. Someone who usually blended in. The Christmas deliveries are ready, said Alexander. And Adam and Kevin have to go home. If we wandered into the human world, do you think they would let us go home? Fumed Gerald. No. They stay. And if they are very good, I won't send them to Siberia. They don't believe in us, not really, said Patty, who had run in behind Gerald. We have to be a secret. If they stumble on what they don't believe in, we are finished. It isn't hard to see that. There's two of them now, but more will come. We have to separate. It's clear. The elves around her murmured in agreement. Festivity had somehow left the room, replaced by apprehension. Alexander pointed at Adam. Does anyone on earth look less dangerous than him? I can tell you he believes in a lot more than I do, or did, until this week. His eyes met Gerald's. Look, I know you're scared. Doing things differently is scary. It's okay to say that, but let's not be paralyzed by fear. I'm chief of staff here, Gerald, and I need to get these kids home. But I'm not a security expert. Help me. Please. Gerald looked around the room. At a Christmas town, he remembered at what it had once looked like before stress and fear and overthinking had taken over. He glanced at Patty, who still looked frightened. It's risky, he told her. I can't deny that. But life is risky. Love is risky. She nodded, slowly. Gerald pressed a button on his belt. Gwen, it's me. It's all right. Clear the roads. Yes, that's what I said. We are go to fly tonight. That's right. Yes, I know it's windy. I'll take care of it. He released the button and looked at Patty. You okay? She looked uncertain, but he took her hand. It's okay. It's okay to believe. I believe in you, she said. Gerald cleared his throat. Well, big guy, we better get a move on. Can't be here all night. Are the boys ready? Justine and Rochelle rushed to hug Adam. Goodbye, goodbye, shouted Justine. Will you come back and sing? Duncan took the cap off his head and placed it on Adam's. I think we have to let him go now, he said in his soft voice. 
But promise you won't forget us, young sir. We need you. Never promised Adam. He looked at his friends. Alexander, Duncan, Karen, even Gerald, who looked strange with a smile on his face. He could never forget any of them. Marvin gave Adam and Kevin a bear hug, knocking them into the sleigh. Santa climbed in after them, and like a rocket it shot off into the night. Everyone helped, but no one had the time to put all the security protocols in place. It was something of a risky ride, in fact. The elves of Christmastown could only hope that if you happened to glance up into the night sky and see that sleigh, you'd understand. <laughs>